0: Hey, I am so excited about our service this morning. I've been looking forward to this service. We have a guest with us who is somebody that I've known of for a number of years, a pastor, doctor, Stan Tharp, bishop, venerable, whatever. My wife is always like, stop it now. You're going too far. That was, too, the venerable was too far, uh, Pastor Stan has been ministering for 40 years at Christian Life Center in Dayton. Uh, Seven of those years, he was a staff pastor and for the last 33 years as a lead pastor. He's been married to his wife, Joyce, for 42 years. They have two kids. And he has made such a difference in my life. He has been a mentor to me. And would you just give a great big enthusiastic welcome to Pastor Stan as he comes and shares with us this morning. Thank you, brother.
1: Well, good morning, Journey Church. Good morning. Good morning. You all look great, and it's uh, wonderful to be here. I'm of get situated. Uh, I have uh, been in a mentor, a leadership cohort with your pastor uh, for about the last year and a half, and it has been just great to get to know each other better. You know him already. I'm setting my watch there. Not that that means anything, but uh, anyway. Uh, you know he's great with detail. Uh, I saw that last night. I texted him, what time you want me to church tomorrow? He said, if you're there by 8:15, 15, I won't be nervous. So he's into the details. But uh, also has a real uncanny sense for strategic things and big picture things. Uh, obviously loves God, uh, loves his family. Like me, he married up with Carrie. So, and, uh, and he loves you as a church. And it's just exciting to see what God's doing here. And so I'm thrilled to be here. Um, He asked me, I asked him, what do you want me to preach about? And he gave me a direction. At CLC, I like to write uh, sermon books that accompany sermon series. And so I just self-publish them. And the one he picked is is a bit of an uphill climb. Uh, I've written some books that are for church leaders. Uh, my, My most fun book I ever wrote was one that was actually named after a game I made up when our kids were in elementary school when I'd drive them to school on my days off. It's called Who Am I? Uh, there's 70 Bible characters in here, and it asks questions of each character, so your kids guess who, they, who you're talking about. And then there's a little teaching about them and a little way to ask questions. The conversation starts on the coloring page. And uh, I'm, I'm, I don't have a stack of them here, but I'm going to give this away to whoever has the most kids today, all right? So if you think you're in the running, all right, uh, I think it's at least four or five. Put your name on one of those connect cards, how many kids you have, and your phone number, and give it to the sound team back there, okay? Uh, give it up for the sound people, by the way. Great job. <laughs> Tech team. Give it to them, and I will trust them to communicate to Pastor Ken, and somebody will, will get that. Uh, as I said, the, the subject I'm going to deal with is a bit of a deep dive, and so it's really not a humorous subject at all, but I like humor. I like to laugh. I like high energy. And so I'm just gonna go ahead and, and delve into, I think it's the lost art of telling jokes. You know, we don't tell jokes much anymore, but I'm gonna tell you a joke. All right, and if you're under 25, you might have never heard this. I wanna tell you some knock knock jokes, okay? So, audience participation. So, all you older people, I'm gonna say knock knock. You're gonna say, I'm gonna say somebody, and you're gonna say, and then I give you the punchline, okay? So, let's try a couple of warm ups, all right? First of all, okay, knock knock, yeah. Right em, cowboy. Get it? Yahoo, all right? All right, another one. Knock knock. Boo. Why are you crying? Okay. Alright, here it is. You ready? Here's the real one though, okay? Knock, knock. Interrupting cow. Moo. Get it? I interrupted you. <laughs> it's a tough crowd. All right, turn to David and say, it wasn't funny, but he tried. Go on, just just do that for me, all right? And you will notice, uh, yeah, Pastor Ken doesn't do that much here, but I will ask you to repeat things now and then just to keep me on track, but also to help you remember it. So, uh, He asked me if I would speak on on a book that's basically one that most of us have probably said the title of, God, Where Are You? And uh, I have asked that. It's usually in pain, in heartache or loneliness or suffering or just disillusionment. And I understand we're in a series on guardrails, and one of the most frequent guardrails that people need or go through and go off-road and crash in their face is one of disillusionment, one when this question is not answered. God, where are you? If you've asked that question, you're in good company. And you have an outline when you came in. uh, Relax, because the dozen suggestions, I'm not going to spend time on those. We're going to fly by that. We'll get done in time. Um, but uh, in Psalm 10, verse 1, David was a man after God's own heart, and, and he wrote from his heart. And in Psalm 10, verse 1, David says, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord, and why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I have felt that way. There are times I've wondered where God was, and it seems like when I need Him the most, He's not around. C.S. Lewis uh, identifies this and and talks about it as the problem of pain. Philosophers have debated it for decades, centuries. And the problem of pain, as C.S. Lewis describes it, is stated this way. If God were good, He would wish to make His creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, He would be able to do what He wished. But the creatures are not happy, therefore God lacks either goodness or power or both. I mean, if God is all good and all loving and all kind, certainly He would want what's, what's best and, and lovely and, and desirable for us, like you do for your children. And if God is all powerful, He can make it happen. But a lot of things happen if we took an inventory of our lives that are not lovely, are not good, are not pleasant. They are the opposite. And God didn't change it, God wasn't there to stop it. And so it's a problem. Is He not all powerful? Is He not all good? Now, the problem of pain is not a problem for atheists. And if you're here and you don't claim a belief in God, you should not struggle with this because as an atheist, you believe in a godless universe. And so for the universe to be cold and harsh and unfair, there's nothing inconsistent about that. But for those of us that are that are Christians, we battle that. And it's not just something philosophical. It's up close and personal. I've been through lots of pain in my life. I've been around lots of pain in over 40 years of ministry. And I, I think back... Uh, Pastor Ken talked about the Leadership Summit. It's a two-day training time, inspiration out of Chicago, and we're one of the simulcast sites in Dayton. And just last August, uh, it was August fifth, 2022. I'll never forget that day. It was on Friday afternoon, and, and uh, a pastor from a church in the area, Josh Plissons, leaned over to me, and he held, showed me his news app, and he said, that, that's here somewhere. And I looked, and I, I said, yeah, that's like less than a, a half a mile away. Moments later, I got a text from the Vandalia Police Department. They said, there's been a shooting. Would you please come to the police department? Because I'm on an on a emergency response team. I was halfway through to, to the Vandalia Police Department, five miles away, and I got a call from Duke Dirk Van Dusburg, one of our staff members, and he said, it, it, Pastor, that's Brett. And, uh, yeah. and by the time I got to Brett Anderson's house, Brett had grew up at our church. And uh, when he graduated college, he became our IT guy for over a decade. Brett and Sarah were high school sweethearts. Uh, They married, I dedicated their daughters, Olivia and Kayla, and they were very involved in the church. And on that Friday afternoon, last August, a, a neighbor came over and gunned down Sarah and Kayla in their home as they unpacked groceries. Went across the street and killed a senior citizen couple and then fled out of state. And I wept. And I got to the scene, and the police wouldn't obviously let you in. And just around the corner, a neighbor had opened their garage and their home, and so loads of chairs, lawn chairs, and family members, and a few friends. We sat there for hours just waiting for updates. And I remember for a good chunk of the afternoon, Brett and I just went in the back, like a patio room. And we sat there, and all I could do was cry and say, I'm so sorry. And then sit there in silence. I remember after a while, this thought is in my head. Say something. You're his pastor. Say something to make this better. Say something to help. I had nothing. What do you say? I, I have learned through the years that there is value in just what I would call compassionate presence. And sometimes far too often the only thing I can say is I have no idea how you must feel. I'm so sorry. And if we took an inventory of our lives, most of us could add to the problem of pain. Yeah, if God is all good and God is all loving, this happened in my life and makes no sense. This happened to my loved one. I mean, we could, we could go through it, and, and, and you remember the doctor's face when he walked into the room, or you remember when, when you lost your loved one, or you remember you said, till death do us part in front of someone, and that person parted, but nobody died. I mean, you can go through the pain and the litany of what happens in life. All of us have to struggle with the problem of pain. It's not just us. It's biblical. I'll take you to an ancient story in the book of Job. And if you have your Bible, you can go to the the middle of it, the book of Psalms, and go left. But in Job chapter 1, on the outline it says two days from hell. Most of us have had those days or those afternoons. In Job chapter 1, we meet him. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. And it goes on to say that the angelic host and Satan himself gathered together in God's presence and God was bragging about Job, this righteous man. If you considered my servant Job, he's got seven sons. He's got three daughters. He has thousands of livestock, whether it's camels, sheep, oxen, donkeys. He's got servants. I mean, he is wealthy, well-known, famous, and everything's wonderful, and he's a righteous man. And Satan goes on to say, I'll jump to verse 9. Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? I mean, sure he loves you. Sure he worships you. Sure he's a righteous man. I mean, it's worth it. Talk about happily ever after. Talking about the dream life. He's got it. And the implication is, you take some of that away. We'll see how faithful he is. We'll see how much he loves you. We'll see if he serves you. What happens next makes you hope that God never brags about me in heaven. He gives, he gives Satan permission okay, have Adam, but don't touch his body. And talk about two days from hell. On day one from hell, uh, the, the servants come in and they basically say, Job, bad news. Enemies came and slaughtered and took away your, your cattle. Uh, lightning came down from heaven and struck a bunch of your sheep, and they're all gone. All of your wealth, all your livestock is gone. And then another servant comes in and says, and by the way, Job, all your 10 kids, they would gather together birthday parties for each, on each birthday, and they were having a big party, and, 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 and some kind of storm, might have been a tornado, whatever, came through and destroyed the house, and all your children are dead. One day. When he woke up, he was dad. When he woke up, he was probably grandpa to somebody. He was father-in-law. When he woke up, he was wealthy. When he woke up, he was healthy. When he woke up, he was to be envied. And that one day from hell, all that's gone. And you you look a little further in chapter 2, verse 7. And, and Satan reconvenes recon- with God and says... Well, yeah, Job serves you, but let me touch him. You wouldn't let me inflict him. You let me take away his health. You let me put him in pain, and we'll see if he serves you. And in verse 7, it says in chapter 2, Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And he smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a pot shirt, a piece of pottery to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Can you imagine how bad he would have looked and he would have smelled? I mean, puss all over his body. No relief. Sitting in an ash heap. And, and his wife, verse 9, said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Thanks, honey. Gift of encouragement. Curse God. Curse God and die. And he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we accept good from God and not expect adversity? And then, you know, Satan loves it. Satan loves it when we ask why and when we blame God. Because as we blame God, as we shake our fist at God, we point our finger at God, it distances us from him, and I cannot do this with God when I'm doing this. And I'll read a quick thought from, from the book. Rather than turning to God for comfort, Satan echoes the advice of Job's wife in our souls. He hopes we will follow in the midst of life's heartaches and curse God and die. And you've had those painful moments, those painful losses, those, how does this make sense? Where are you, God? And Satan would love for you to blame God. He would love for you to ask the question, why? I'll come back to that, but I've learned over time that that's one of the most pointless, unsatisfying questions to ask in light of life's heartaches. And there are 12 amazing words mentioned in the outline in Job chapter 1, verse 22. These 12 amazing words blow my mind, and they reveal to us why God bragged about Job in the first place. It says in summary to all he went through. It says in, in Job 122, Through all this Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. I don't know about you. But if I woke up one day and I am dad and father-in-law and I am grandpa and I am healthy, wealthy, and wise, and two days later, my whole life is ruined. It would be hard. It would be hard to say, if you are all good and you are all powerful, then what's with this? Job was an amazing, righteous man, and he did not blame God. For us to go the route of Job, not in his suffering, but in trusting God and not blaming God and not sitting in our pain, it is helpful for us to understand what I would call the tip of the iceberg. And I am a whiteboard kind of guy, so my morning just got better, all right? Uh, We know that there is a cosmic battle in the universe between good and evil. Personified, it is God and his adversary, Satan. And there's a spiritual force emanating from God that we can call eternal life and from Satan. Satan that forces sin. And this battle, this war, is raging throughout the universe and throughout the centuries of time. In this battle, you talk about heartache, you talk about death, you talk about disease, you talk about abuse, you talk about failure, insecurity, you talk about birth defects, I mean, injustice, you name it. It is all over creation. has been raging for thousands of years. And in that, you and I are residents on that planet where that's happening. And let me draw an analogy. In fact, let me me widen it out a little bit and take a biblical view of the universe and then hone into this. Let's go through some verses. Let's look at uh, Psalm 8, verse 1. Psalm 8, verse 1, David says... Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Verse 3, he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Read Psalm 8. David walks out on a starry night. He's a shepherd who's turned king. And he looks up and he goes, Man, God, you're just amazing. I call those good job God moments. When you see the stars, or you see a sunset, or even when you see the you, you go out in the winter time and you see a snowflake land on your coat, and you just look at how intricately it's formed—it's just like a good job, God. Yeah. David's just blown away by that. Paul talks about that and references that in Romans 11, verse 33. In Romans 11, 33—he's trying to he's trying to put it into words the all that he has of God, and he says, "Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God." How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable are his ways. When I think of God, speechless. That's how incredible God is. That's how incredible he is. He's an incredibly good God. But then we know also that something happened. Something happened to set this up. Something happened shortly after creation because when God made Adam and even put them in the garden, they were in perfect harmony with him, Perfect harmony with themselves. Can you imagine the word anxiety making no sense to you? Insecurity? What's that? Doubt? Fear? They were in perfect harmony with each other. Anger, frustration, betrayal. Perfect harmony with their environment. It was paradise. That's what God intended for Adam and Eve and what He intended for you and me to this day. All he said was, don't sin. Few requirements. Do my will. Don't do yours. And what we see in Romans 5, verse 12, though, is the opposite. Romans 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. I like to prove the legitimacy, of, the legitimacy and accuracy of Scripture. How many of us have sinned? Okay, okay. If the person next to you didn't raise their hand, tell them you're sinning now by lying, okay? All of us have sinned. When, when Adam sinned, it opened the moral, spiritual floodgates on all of creation, and death and disease, and heartache and pain, injustice, abuse, you name it, like a flood. And Romans 8:22 underscores the point. And it says, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. We have two children. I was there when they both made their arrival. And that is enough for any man to be glad he's not a woman. Alright? Will you men say amen to that? I mean the pain of Childbirth until now, all of creation, like I can't take the pain any longer. That's the world in which we live. That's the condition of the universe. had a great question from a guy after first service, and he said, okay, uh, I talk about new heaven and new earth. What's that about? I understand a new earth. Why a new heaven? I said, well, I think heaven and earth are a package deal. And the whole universe has fallen, including the heavenlies. But let me, let me kind of draw this now to, to personalize it. Boy, I got nice markers this service. That's good. Last service, they were like Christian Life Center markers. Half of them didn't want to work. So I'm always throwing markers away. Let's see. We'll do a purple one. I'm not minimizing your pain. I'm not minimizing your heartache. It is real. For some of you, it's overwhelming. But your pain and my pain are the tip of the iceberg. There is this larger universe of struggle going on. There is this cosmic battle between God and Satan, good and evil, And it is raging across the universe. And so your pain and mine is just the tip of a tiny little iceberg in that larger universe. I'll remind you of Romans 8.22 again. The whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth until now. So asking the question, why? Why me? Is a fairly... Short-sighted, unfair, irrational question when you realize the universe in which we live. It's kind of like I learned first service that you're more Guardians fans than you are Reds fans. In Dayton, they're more Reds fans. But I grew up in Cleveland, so go tribe. Stubborn, what can I say? But anyway. It's like you got great seats right on first base, all right? First base line, Like you could reach out and touch the first baseman that close. And you're sitting there having a ball about the fifth inning or so, okay? And, and you're just, you're enjoying your popcorn and you're drinking your Coke. And all of a sudden, a foul ball comes. You're not paying attention. Wham! Hits you. Big old goose egg. Oh, why? Why did it hit me? Why did the ball hit me? as a foul ball. Your friend, whoever's with you, goes, what do you mean, why did it happen? We're at a baseball game. Players hit foul balls. <laughs> foul balls come this way. It just happens. You follow that? Do you realize the futility of being in a universe that's at war? A universe that is ravaged by a sin beyond anything we can imagine? Do you realize the futility of me saying, to my heartache or yours, I'm not minimizing it, but to say, why? With all due respects, why not? It's part of this planet, it's part of the universe. It's part of why the creator of the universe, the only solution he had was to send his only begotten son to be our savior, to save us from it, and go to the end of Revelation, there's a do-over. So when, when this happened to poor Job, he got some really bad spiritual advice. And the really bad spiritual advice in Job chapter 4, verse 7, comes from his friend Eliphaz. He has like a few friends, and they all give him bad advice. And in Job 4, verse 7, he said, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I've seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. Basically, what you've got his friend Eliphaz saying, and and what we understand, understand here is that really bad theology does not make really bad experiences any more manageable. Sometimes it makes the pain worse. And so... Eliphaz is saying, Job, somehow God has killed your children, destroyed all your wealth, and smitten you with a dreadful disease. And the reason God has done this is obviously because you have done something to deserve it. And I grieve over the fact that that's more common than we think. I am heartbroken when I talk to a believer who is sincere in their faith with God and something horrible has happened and they carry around this false guilt Well, I must have done something to deserve this. There are times we can bring it upon ourselves. But the idea that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, we can disprove that theological myth right now. Ready? How many of you know somebody who as far as you know is not a Christian and they have more stuff than you do? Let me see your hand. How many, if they have a boat, you don't, okay? Your, their boat's bigger, whatever, okay? All right? How many of you know somebody who appears not to be a Christian, we're not being judged, but they're probably not a Christian, and they, they seem to be living a happy life with their marriage, their family, their career. It seems to be going good for them. Let me see your hands. So it's a, it's a theological myth that if you're good, it's good. And if it's bad, it's because you're bad. And... The next point has five amazing, misleading words. Now, I'm your friend, so I'm going to warn you. I'm going to say these words. Some of you say these. Don't say amen. Now, just bite your tongue. Everything happens for a reason. First of all, I have to respectfully ask you, okay, chapter and verse that for me, please, with the intent that you're saying it. Because the idea of everything happens for a reason. Let me see if I can find that. It alludes to some grand design that God himself is orchestrating together for good, and it implies he simply needed some of your pain and suffering to finish the job. Everything happens for a reason. Now, that's not so bad. Like if you lose your job, and then you get a good job, certainly so have them for a reason. I will never utter those words to Brett. You know, Brett, that Friday afternoon you were waiting to get done with work and come home for dinner, when your wife and your daughter were executed. God's got some big plan. And if you just knew what it was, you realize they were slaughtered in your own home, and everything, including that, happens for a reason. God just hasn't told you yet. God is the most creative personality in the universe. Look around. He also made hummingbirds. He made the aurora borealis. He made the rocky mountains, and he, he, and he made the, the seashore. And he spoke the universe and the stars into existence. You mean to tell me that there are things about his will, what he wants to accomplish, that he cannot accomplish without your grandchild having a birth defect? Everything happens for a reason. Well, you know, your your, your spouse walked out on you, and but everything happened. God's got a plan, and in that plan, this has to happen because he's got a reason for that. Now that's not to be confused with Romans 8:28. We know God causes all things to work together for good. For those who love him, who those who are, those are called according to his purpose, I add two phrases, eventually, if we let him. The worst of pain, God can still get something good from. Doesn't mean he caused it in the first place. Doesn't mean it was the reason for it. But he won't waste it if we don't waste it. And we have to let him because we can stay bitter and angry at God and he never can accomplish the good he wanted to do in us. That requires our pers- participation. And so... If those are five misleading words, in fact I have a friend at the church and she started a, a nonprofit helping women recover from breast cancer and uh, she has a shirt and she gave me a, a shirt and it says give me permission to punch the next person in the face who says everything happens for a reason. <laughs> There's a reason why we do that. The reason we do that is because somehow I convince myself that everything happens for a reason I feel safer in this universe of risk. I don't like being on the tip of that iceberg. You mean my life can be Jobed by Tuesday? I can, have, I can have two days from hell in my life It's never the same by the middle of the week? I don't like that in- insecurity. I don't like that uncertainty. And I remember a friend of mine who was on our board and loved God, raised as a Christian, had an adult family. I, I still remember the bitterness and the, and the anger in his voice because part of his family just blew up. And he said, I remember being told by, he said, people like you, pastors, that this is what God's word said. And I was under the impression that if I simply connected the dots and did what God's word said, everything would be fine. And I've done it, and it hasn't. And, and see, the reason why I like to believe. Now, there's cause and effect. We'll talk about that. It's in the book. And, and so, yes, doing righteous things usually has good results, doing evil things usually has bad results. Although, how many ever saw somebody do something evil and they seem to benefit from it? But generally speaking, there are principles. But I like to obligate God that if I connect the dots, you will not let a Job thing happen to me. So if we're going to say everything happens for a reason, I can agree with that. But not from the standpoint of God's got this plan and so the hideous thing you're dealing with, He planned that. I don't go there, but I can agree everything happens for a reason if it's for, for one of four We re- I learned that, that between services. Yeah, all right. So I got to get me one of these. Only bigger with a flip. All right. Let's talk about Four causes for everything. Last point in the message. If you're saying everything happens for a reason, and what you mean is it's one of these reasons, I'm all about that. All right, reason number one would you say God? All right, God is omnipotent, God is sovereign, God can do whatever He chooses to do, and He does. And uh, when you go to Daniel 2.21, Daniel 2.21 uh, says, 2.21, 2.21, did I give you those? Yeah, okay. It is he who changes the times and the epochs, the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. God can do whatever he wants to do. Can you say Amen. The next one is. Uh, how do I do that? Did I put that second? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Say the planet. planet. Come on. I'm gonna do all this talking. You can say the planet. Say the planet. planet. All right. There we go. I'm gonna put in parentheses. It's fallen. And uh, Romans 5.12, we talked about that all of creation groans until now because sin entered the world. A whole lot of what happens, I don't have to have any why, God, that my nephew Danny was born 42 years ago with a chromosomal defect in the left side of his body was affected, extra finger, no toe, uh, no knee joint, had to have... A dozen operations by the time he was two, walks through the prosthesis now today. I don't, have, I don't have to have any why, God, other than the planet has fallen, including the gene pool, and we cannot get up. If you question that, go to the story Jesus told in the Gospels about the guy who was a wealthy landowner. And, and those of you who are farmers understand this, okay? Uh, rode in a combine since I live in Dayton. That's really fascinating. But, anyways. Um, and so he has this field, it's all sown, and then an enemy comes and sows weeds in with the wheat. And the servants say, you want us to go and rip out the weeds? No, 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 you'll destroy everything. We can't, it's inseparable. Let's wait until harvest. When the harvest comes, we'll we'll harvest the wheat, wheat and the weeds, and we will separate uh, the wheat from the weeds at harvest time. What's that analogy? Other side of the board, an enemy came and sowed sin into the world. You want us to rip the evil out from the world? He wants to rip evil out of creation? If he ripped evil out of creation, moi would not survive, nor would you. I'm a mixed bag. Can I hear amen? So, no, let's wait until judgment. Let's wait until the end of human history, and we will separate the sheep from the goats. We'll take care of it then. Until then, you cannot re- remove evil from creation. It is too intertwined. So God, you'll hear in a moment, God has a plan for us. I wish it was okay, but I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to spare you from all the evil on the planet. No, there's another part of the planet that's not fallen, in which things happen. Answer so the re- things happen for a reason, and it's observed by this law. What is this law? Gravity. Nobody went. <gasps> right? Anybody want to take a picture of this? Want to post this? All right, TikTok. I'll go real slow. No. You're not amazed, it happens. We need gravity. If we didn't, that'd really be bad. If I let it go and it went up there, you'd really take pictures of that. Natural laws are part of this planet. No big deal. Until 1980 and Christian Leicester ran out of money when they were building the sanctuary. I wasn't there yet, uh, but they ran out of money and so the church had to build all the volunteer labor and they're building the balcony with scaffolding up there and sunny Cuesta without a construction background. Sonny Quest is up on the scaffolding, and he steps back off the scaffolding, and gravity happened, ended up with a permanent disability for the rest of his life. You could say, why, God? With the implication, why didn't you supernaturally stick an angel there and gradually, slowly let him down? Don't you wish God interrupted the laws of this planet every time you wanted him to? but then there wouldn't be laws on this planet. There's a, three times in my life I wish he interrupted the laws of inertia in the car I was driving, but he doesn't. And there need be no bigger cosmic why other than that. Maybe, but Sonny has since gone to heaven years later, and I, none of us can look back and say, ah, the reason, everything happens for a reason, the reason God had for Sonny being permanently disabled, falling off the scaffold, volunteering his time in the sanctuary is... Got nothing. A a third reason that things happen is, would you say choice? Choice. My choice, their choice. I have made a lot of good godly choices in my life, and I have gotten a lot of good godly results from them. Amen? Amen. I have made a lot of bad sinful choices in my life. I've got a lot of bad sinful results from them. Amen? Amen? Yeah, you said more amen you're acting like you're too holy to sin. Here. We do. And, and then on top of that, other people can make choices, and I pay. Other people have hurt you deeply. They, they've, they've deserted you. They've wounded you. They do things maybe not intentionally, but, but that's another why things happen. And then finally, would you say Satan? I mean, you go to Job, and the Bible says once he got permission, Satan had at Job and just tore into him. So there are four causes for everything. Everything happens for a reason, and that reason might be it was God's direct hand. That reason might be it was Satan's direct hand. That reason might be me or somebody did that or chose that and set those wheels in motion. Or it may be, you know what, We just live on a fallen planet. Natural laws happen or just the fallness of this planet, and we are all, we are all whoop. here. And this has not stopped. Understand that when it comes to this, God never promised that he would save you from it. But he did promise that he would bring you through it. I wish I could tell you, and some people try to uh, in popular Christianity, that if you just believe God and bless God, boom. But I got too much wreckage in my life, and I've been around too much wreckage in the lives of other believers over 40-something years of ministry to think that God saves me from it all. But I have learned if I don't do this, and I don't do this, but I do this, he will help me through it all. And that's the difference. So, just a a closing thought, and you've got it in your, your notes. I think it's the last chapter of, of the book. There's a dozen suggestions when bad things happen and prayers go unanswered. And I want to personalize it to those of you, and, and I can read a crowd fairly well, and I can, I can probably go, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you. Some of you, this message is right for you today. You're living it. Or you have lived it. And you've survived, but there's just one big question mark on it. You can delve into it later. Don't ask why. It's the most futile question. Ask why, but linger briefly. And don't ask why or why. Say why, because it may be something to learn. The more productive question I've always found to ask is, okay, God, given all that, now what? He always answers now what sooner or later. He often leaves why alone. In part because God is more interested in you trusting him than he is in you figuring him out. Because we go back to Paul in Romans, the depth and the breadth and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable is judgment. I will never fully comprehend him. And so when he wants you to know it, you're right. True. But you can trust me. I may not fully understand him, but I can always trust him. Don't blame God, don't sin your suffering humble in hardship. Jesus said, I'm gentle and humble in heart. It takes away the, how could this happen to me? Well, because I'm in this same universe. I'm at that game. Expect good and bad. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I hear an amen? amen. I never went to bed saying, I could have used more trouble today in fact, if we really believe this drawing, I didn't see anybody objecting, like, I can't believe he's drawing. If we believe this and those verses, we almost should go to bed at night shocked when we have a good day. <laughs> All this going on, and it went good. Good job, God. And yet we, we get caught by surprise. Remember four causes for everything. Be aware of sowing and reaping because it is true. Man, I can, I can cause myself loads of damage and pain other people. I can also do things that are, biblically speaking, going to lean toward blessings and good things. Deal with sin because when I blatantly sin, God often lets me bear the consequences that are painful and difficult to bring correction to me. He disciplines us. Pass the test. The Bible says over and over again, God loves us, He tests us. He tests us to refine us. And again, he tests us not to see how much we figure him out, but how much we trust him. And boy, there, there have been times, <laughs> there are some lessons I haven't learned yet because they, they keep repeating. And there are times I've gone through something, and after that, I can find, you know what? <laughs> he didn't save me from it, but he was with me through it. And once, he, once I'm through it, I'm like, God, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I could have done that better. I could have trusted you more. I could have panicked less. I could have not done that. Pass the test. Yeah. Grow closer to God in your pain. The Bible talks to about the fellowship of His sufferings. And, and the one thing I want to land on in closing is learn that shall is not is. Would you say shall is not is? Shall. That sounds pretty basic, but let me take you to the end of the book. The beginning of the book, we see God's intentions for us, and and how miraculous he put us in the Garden of Eden and the paradise that he intended for you and I to live in, and we are far from that. I also said that he cannot fix it. It's unfixable. You can't pull the evil and the good out of this world. And so he can't fix it, but he said, I can't spare you from it, but I can bring you through it. And so he gave us the son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior, to get us through it. And he said, I can't fix it, but you know what the remedy is? Go to the end of the book, Revelation 21, It's a divine do-over. Revelation 21, the apostle says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Your heartache, your pain, your agony, your disillusionment, your failure, your embarrassment will someday be a distant memory. I believe in heaven when we remember it. And then he says this, He shall dwell among them, God, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. Now, when I point you, I want you to say shall, okay? And he shall wipe away every tear. And there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning. There shall be no more crying. There shall be no more pain. Because the first things have passed away. I want so bad for shall to be is, I want it to be there is no more crying, there is no more pain, there is no more death. I don't want to have said goodbye to my mom last October. No, I don't want that. I want is now. But no, shall is not is. Shall is coming. And there is coming. He will deliver you through all of this. And when we get there, there shall be no more crying or pain or death or injustice. And you can give him a hand for that. so so let's fortify the, the guardrail of disillusionment the guardrail of God where are you? I need to ask that question God why? I'm going to put that one away God I'm hurting God I'm in agony God I don't understand but I'm going to draw to you and he will give you a comfort that you can't explain He will give you strength a day at a time healing will come and he will see you through it i'm asking you to bow your heads with me if you would because i want to pray for those of you that you're living this or you've been through it and it's not resolved there's not a sense of healing or peace as you look back and i believe the lord wants to minister to you today before you leave whether it ever ends or not, just that you know undeniably but he's with me, he'll see me through, and someday there shall be none of this. And so if you're sitting here and you say, Man, that's where I'm at. I need God's help. I need the Holy Spirit's comfort. I want to trust him. I want to draw near. I don't wanna get stuck on whys that don't get answered. I wanna I wanna I wanna go through this with God. I want to look back and process that and be okay with questions unanswered. I want to trust Him when I can't figure it out. If that's you, we could pray for you. All I'm going to ask you to do is stand and we're going to close in prayer. Would you stand all across this place? Many of you are here. I can sense and discern that and you're struggling and this message is for you today.
0: So if you're standing right now, Just to be clear, I guess everyone's standing. If you're here and you're hurting, and this message resonated, would you just lift your hand? If you're around someone who's got their hand up, would you just move toward them real quick? Just look around. We're probably not going to be able to move too much, but just look around. Maybe put a hand on someone's shoulder. When I'm hurting, when I'm in pain, we talked last week, we don't need a what. We need a who, right? And we're grateful for the presence of God. We're we're thankful for Jesus. The body of Christ right now here on earth is is a church. It's us. So we're going to minister one to another. Some of you are going through so much pain. You're hurting so bad. Can we just pray one for another? If you don't know the name of the person standing next to you, would you just ask them for their name real quick? And pray for them by name. There's something powerful that happens when we pray for each other by name. Oh, God. Come on, lift your voice, church. Just begin to pray. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your grace. God, we ask for your peace. We ask that you would walk with them through this, God. God, we would ask that you would lift it. We would ask that you would heal. We would ask that you would deliver. But God, if if you don't, God, we ask, would you walk with them through it? That they would know your presence through it. Oh, God, we need you. We need you. It's too hard for us to bear up under, God. We need you. We need you. We need your strength. We need your help. God I pray for good godly relationships people that will walk with them not the friends of Job but God godly people who don't need to have an answer they don't need to say anything in the moment just the ministry of presence is enough God I pray that for every person in this room thank you Jesus Lord do what we are unable to do for ourselves walk with us through this We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your help. We thank you for your strength. God, we thank you for hope. Our hope is in you, not in our situation. Our hope is in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, Pastor Stan, thank you for that message. Thank you for that help. Amen.